Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And you, my friend, are listening to the Church Planner Podcast. Lucky you. (laughs) That should be the new tagline. (laughs) Lucky you. Welcome. You're lucky to be here. How fortunate are you? You know, it was so funny. Okay, so I still do uh, a thing called the Detailer Inner Circle for Auto Detailers. I do that with Jimbo Balaam, who's an ex-church planner of ours. And um, and so we do a, a... I, I guess a coaching call is what you would call it with all of our, our detailers. And we were doing that yesterday and we were talking about all of a sudden we got on the subject of Alex Jones and how oh man, both Jimbo and I like never were into Alex Jones. And then we were told, Hey, you got to watch this podcast that Joe Rogan did with Alex Jones. And it was like four hours or five hours. Oh, wow. I want to see it. Neither one of us amazing. could quit watching. It was like, I was glued to this thing because it so, was just crazy. So tell me, because like Joe Rogan's, he's a smart dude. He like, really is. He's he's thoughtful. He's smart. He um, doesn't take the party line um, easily. He'll he'll push back with his guests. I mean, he's he's refreshingly honest, and he's intelligent. So I can only imagine. Like actually, I can't imagine what a conversation with those two would be like. It. Well, and the thing is, they know each other. Like, they're good friends. What? I know. So, it was some, like... Some of that has to be an act with um, Alex Jones, though. Because, let's be honest, well, it's news-flavored really entertainment that. is what we see nowadays. It, it's not news anymore. It's well, news-flavored entertainment. Without a doubt. And if you watch that podcast... And, guys, I, it, there's probably vulgar language on it. I honestly can't remember. It's been several months since I watched it. 
So just fair warning, you know, I, I think I think they light up a joint. I, I can't remember. I know he did that with Elon Musk, but I, and I wouldn't be surprised if he did that. If Joe Rogan did that with everybody. I don't know. I don't really watch or listen to that podcast. But uh, like you can see, you know, Alex Jones has said some crazy stuff and you can see I think he truly believes some of the stuff that he says. And what's funny is as a Christian, I look at some of the stuff he says and I'm like, I don't think he realizes that's a demonic thing that he's talking about there. Like mm. he, he doesn't realize that. that oh, Joe is, Rogan's a Christian. No, 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 oh. no. I'm not saying either one of them are. I'm oh. saying me as a Christian, I'm listening oh. to this going. I don't think Alex Jones realizes he's opening the door to some demonic stuff. Like right. real life demons, he's he's opening the door to like, them. Really? Yeah. Because it's just now weird from stuff that from happens. Pete Mitchell. That's crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I love yeah, it. Yeah, I think if you watched it, you would know exactly what I was talking really? about. You'd be like, "Oh yeah, that's that's uh, that's some demonic stuff going so, on there." I read about a pastor yesterday in Outreach Magazine. This is maybe like, I don't know, like five years old. And uh, I think it was Outreach. Um, right now, I'm, I'm prepping for my textbook. And I came across this crazy story where By the, the way, guy they ever said, sign their contract? Yes. Okay. Yes, I got it. Yes. I got a check, too. Woo-hoo! So any, anyways, what happened was um, he... Uh, you know, this guy, he just said, my first week as a pastor was um, uh, an exorcism and suicide. Ugh. And what what happened was he went into this house, did this exorcism, led these people to Jesus. Because he said, there was supernatural stuff popping off when I got there. And this guy seemed really sane. Like, it's not his gig. It's not his shtick. He's known for writing to pastors about their own soul care. And, um, and I, I kept the article cause I thought, well, you know, this, this, I'm going to tuck this away, uh, maybe interview this guy one day, but he said that that was his first week. Not all of his weeks, you know, by any means were like that. But what his point of his article was that he was a wreck afterwards because, um, first off these people, you know, he said they'd received Jesus, the person I brought, I thought they were more experienced in it. They weren't, they were a novice too. And, um, but the, the couple, uh, received Jesus and they drove 500 miles in the car, got a cheap CD motel the next morning. Cause they were so scared next morning, got up and drove into a piling oh. and them and their kids died. He said that the, the officers said it was suicide. Um, so he said, you know, he said it was suicide in his article, but I was a little confused because, the emotional state and the agitation this couple probably had and, you know, perhaps sleep deprivation after driving 500 miles, um, unless there's mental illness, I don't know. But um, but when he wrote about that, he he just said at the end of it, um, nobody, nobody, it, it was kind of like being a soldier, like no one checks, are you okay? Because he had to then do the funeral and, you know, it's just crazy got called in this police situation. He goes, so for the rest of my minute, he goes, I recovered eventually, but I had to do it alone. And so that became a passion of his. But it was a, a 
it was amazing to me to read in a because I remember looking at it could have been Christianity Today. I don't remember what it was, but I remember looking at the cover going, huh, I don't see stories like that in this magazine very often. It was kind of cool. That's interesting. It's really uh wow. Huh. It just it just reminds you of the world that we live in, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh so Alex Jones and Joe Rogan, so you guys are you you, you can't you can't look away, huh? Well, I guess uh, Jimbo even, he goes, yeah, I started going down the Alex Jones rabbit hole and like, you know, listening to more of his stuff. He goes, and then I couldn't hang with anymore. Like, it got too weird. So, I I don't know. You know, I, I didn't go down that rabbit hole to that degree. I just was like, okay, yeah, this is, I, it, was, it was entirely fascinating though. Really, really fascinating. And for that reason, I say it was worth a it was worth a watch. Like I watched it instead of listening to it. So awesome, awesome. Well, um, hey, I, I'll check it out for sure. I mean, <laughs> four hours of Alex Jones. I mean, might need an Advil afterwards. But it's crazy. It's crazy. yeah. I you know I'll see little crazy clips of him sometimes, um, or someone will make a meme, and I'm thinking that's put on. You know, like they'll show him staggering or grabbing his heart, and I'm like. Okay, that's performance. Like, yeah. I just can't take him serious. I I think he's um he's a he's a showman is what he is, and um so so much oh, of this he figured nowadays, out a way to make money off of that. Paranoia. No no yeah. no doubt no yeah. no doubt in my mind. And I think over the years, fear based marketing. I've never heard of such a yeah, thing. Yeah, I know, right? I think over the years though, it's it's captured his attention and focus as well. Right. And now I don't think he can break free from it. Like he, right. I think, is going to believe that stuff. But they do make the point often that that's one of Trump's favorite shows, and I, I, I don't know if any of that stuff's true, but uh, that's how they want to portray him. Um, you know, you never know. I mean, when they would say, "Oh, Obama, this and that," you never knew. You know, yeah. Um, it, it just the media again. It's it's news flavored entertainment. Yeah. Um, I, I watched a clip on the Bill Ma- Maher. How do you say that guy's name? Bill Maher. Bill Maher. Um, Bill Maher show. And it was interesting to me because um, just watching people get so emotionally worked up. I mean, they had this Republican on there and two Democrats. And the Demo- there were three Democrats. And they could not let her get through a statement without going into this rant. And she's like, Hey, can I finish? And, and they're dropping F bombs and they're practically crying and they're shouting. And it's like, wow. You know, I, um, I read a great meme this week that said, you know, people told us not to talk about religion and politics and they did us a, a disservice. What yeah, they should have taught us was how to talk about religion and politics civilly. Yeah, true story. True yeah. story. Yeah, true that. So, uh, hey, I got I got something that uh, I found out yesterday. Ooh. Wanted to call you immediately and tell you, Ooh. and then decided it's the day before we record the podcast. <laughs> I'll just wait. Suck it up, Mitchell, and suck it up. The podcast. Okay. So this was uh, this this is a big deal for me. A a really Really, really big deal. Okay. Uh, you're I'm not the listening. first to know. 
I told Dan Sams because I had to record a podcast with it's him okay. yesterday. I know so you got to you love out. him more than me. Now. I do. You know, right now, right now, me and Dan, me and Dan are the new Pete and Dan. I mean, Peyton, <laughs> Peyton. <laughs> I just said Pete and Dan. The new Peyton Pete and Dan. Pete. We're the new Pete and Dan. <laughs> There's your tagline. I know, right? So, okay, here's the deal, guys. Uh, if you listened to us a while back, a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, health and we talked about my health journey, right? And um, and so, you know, I've I've had a, a major shift in in how I eat, uh, exercise, all that type of stuff. And I mean, you know, I'm I'm seeing the the consequences of that in the sense that you know i've dropped uh somewhere between 60 and almost 65 pounds that's amazing dude well done thank you thank you and i mean i still have a ways to go like i still have another 50 or so that but that's uh, that a I'm, huge like you're gonna oh, get there dude that's oh, so much that's well amazing. it hasn't been difficult i mean that was part of what i shared wow. on that podcast is once I learned, uh, basically everything I'd been doing and everything I'd been taught was not true. That all I really needed to do, I mean, and this was the kind of the core of it, guys. I just needed to change what I was eating. It wasn't even, I mean, that, like that was the big change. It was literally okay. Don't eat these foods. Eat these foods, and everything changed for me. Uh, taste changed for me. Uh, Hunger pains changed for me. All, everything changed. So, and and like I s- shared on that podcast, um, diabetes runs in my family, and I've always been told, you know, basically, basically, I'm going to get it. I mean, that was kind of like, you know, you're going to get it. And as I shared on that podcast, you remember, Peyton, I've got a highly addictive personality. I like when I jump into something, I devour it. When I got into financial planning, I literally devoured every cassette tape on financial planning I could get because that's what we had back then was pre-CD days. Um, went to every seminar I could go to. like I devoured everything so I could become the best financial planner in the shortest amount of time. When I got into marketing, it was the exact same thing. I consumed everything I could get my hands on uh, so I could become the best in the shortest amount of time. Um, when I got into guns, same thing. I just consumed everything I could as quickly as I could. And uh, same thing in the health thing. So I've been watching documentary after documentary, reading book after book after book, learning everything that I could. And I think one of the things, and I shared this on that that podcast, one of the things that kind of uh, blew me away was uh, that diabetes is reversible. Hmm. And that's just not what you're taught. Like what you're taught is there's no cure for it. And that is true that there is no drug cure for diabetes, but there is a natural cure and it's basically a lifestyle change. And depending on how far you are in that diabetic uh, process, it's going to take you, you know, uh, either a short time or a long time to reverse that, that condition that you've got. And so, like, I was even watch a, watching a documentary over the last week. I, I don't remember when I watched it exactly over the last week. Uh, but, I mean, they had this one gal for 20 years, you know, insulin. She'd been on it, and it just kept increasing and increasing and increasing. And she made these these changes, the same changes that I've made. And her numbers have plummeted. And uh, she's off all insulin and almost off of uh Meta, meta, what's that one? Do you know what I'm talking about? Metaflorin, or I don't, I don't remember Mm-mm. what it is, but it's one of the oral um, medications that uh, that diabetic patients are often on. 
And of course, you know, when you're a diabetic, you got to do this stuff under a doctor's care who understands what you're doing because your, your insulin and the medications you're taking are directly tied to what you're eating. So when you start changing that stuff, your, your doctor is going to have to adjust things, uh, because you know, you can run into serious problems, guys. So don't, don't go, Hey, Pete said this on the podcast, right? And go do this stuff because that would be bad. So, <clears throat> so one of the things that, that I didn't share on the podcast, uh, that I think I, I shared with you, um, about, about a year and a half ago, actually, no, I guess it's uh, about two and a half years ago. Um, I was going through issues, uh, blurriness in my eyes, and I could tell, you know, if I had like uh, a lot of sugar one day, you know, I'd had ice cream, maybe a beer earlier in the day. The next day, my eyes <clears> would just be <throat> shot. And so I'm like, okay, I must have diabetes. It runs in my family. I'm overweight. I must have it. I got to go to the doctor and get tested. So I make an appointment, going to the doctor, they do the blood test. I get the results back from the blood test. They're like, um, you're not diabetic, but you are pre-diabetic. Uh, so basically how they do that is they do an, an A1C test and your, your A1C level, your hemoglobin A1C there, it's a, it's a test to see, um, essentially it tells them how much sugar you've had in your blood over the last basically three to four months because oh wow uh, that's cool blood cells it's amazing they can do that well that's what they've discovered that's what that test is actually wow. producing because blood cells uh, typically you know the life cycle is anywhere from a hundred to one hundred and twenty days oh. so when that's they're really cool. when they look at that number they're like okay then this is your average you know most of the time they go eh, it's basically your three month average and that is uh, what I've what I've since discovered. Because of all the reading I've done, that's not the whole picture. Uh, that's just the easiest ones that doctors use. And so sometimes you could have a false positive for being a diabetic because your your A1C could be high for a different reason. Right. Um, and so there's really three tests that they should be looking at, but no doctor ever does because they just, you know, oh, you're diabetic. Boom, here's the medication. Right. And right. you're on that the rest of your life. Yeah, insulin or... You know, or whatever this two, meta, yeah. meta, whatever, I, I, I can't even pronounce it. Um, so anyway, so, you know, that that's kind of like the, the wake-up call, if you will. So if you're 5 point, I believe it's 5.6 or lower, that's the normal range. If you're uh, 5.7 to, I want to say it's 6.3, you're pre-diabetic. And then if you're 6.4 or higher, you're considered diabetic. So I was at six. So I was literally right in the middle between normal and and diabetic. And uh, so obviously I knew I needed to make changes in my life. Um, didn't really start getting serious about it like we talked about on that last podcast until right. this year. Um, and just was like started seeing results from exercising and eating less, not eating right. I didn't know how to eat right when I started. And uh, so basically June 1st. Uh, I, as I mentioned on that last podcast, I, I saw a documentary that like changed my whole perspective on sugar and not just like the, the blatant sugar, cake, cheesecake, ice cream. I'm talking about sugar, <coughs> excuse me, in bread, sugar in essentially all this stuff that we're eating. And, um, 
And I read uh, this one guy's book. Uh, you know, I think it's called the Ten Day Sh- Detox Diet or Sugar Detox, something like that. He's the guy who did the Daniel Plan with uh, Rick Warren. Um, and so I was like, hey, you know what? I could do this. I can, I can go on this for the next ten days. And I immediately started noticing changes. Like immediately noticed changes in my body. Like one of the first things, all those aches and pains you get when you know you're like getting up out of the chair at night, about ready to go to bed or waking up in the morning, they were like almost immediately gone. So while I know losing weight helps that, this was not because of losing weight. This was because all of a sudden I changed what I was eating, what I was putting into the machine, if you will. Right. And so um, finally, here's here's the point of the story. This is like the I, I take the longest times to you get to did the take point a of long story. time with this. I I'm gotta to say, we're getting old, dude. That's what old people do now. They they go, yeah, my my bunions, yeah, they've been hurting quite a bit, and oh yeah, I went to the doctor and full reports, man, on medical stuff. That's the I age. I know it is, but here's here. I want everyone to understand what a big deal this is. So uh, last week, I bought a, a do-it-yourself uh, a blood test kit that you send off to a lab, and uh, they basically the one that I got was like the heart health kit. So they check all your cholesterol levels and your uh, your A one C, which is what I was at six point out pre diabetic. And so I was curious. I'm like, okay, three months of basically cutting out all non-natural sugars. Where am I at? I'm curious. I'd like to know where I'm at. Because I know I'm not at my goal. I know I'm not at the, the end goal. So I got those back, guys. And here's, here's the exciting thing that I got to share with you. First of all, let me share with you some of the, the bad news that came back in my test. Here's uh, We should call this Pete's Health Moment. Pete's Health Moment with the Church Planner Podcast. So um, my HDL, which is what's called your your good cholesterol level, I'm low on that. So that's not a good thing. Um, I should be be higher on that. And then looking at some of the reasons that that causes it to be low, the only one that I fit uh, is I'm still overweight. So I'm like, okay, that's probably my reason. We'll find out in another three months because I'll do the test again in another three months. However. That being said, my bad cholesterol level is extremely low. So they look at the ratio, and I'm fine on the ratio. I'm, I'm well within the normal range. Uh, the, my total cholesterol, which is where they take your good and your bad cholesterol, I am like so good on that range, it's ridiculous. So it could be, too, that my, my good cholesterol is low because my body doesn't need much of it. I mean, the right. good cholesterol actually takes out the bad cholesterol, and I don't have a lot of bad cholesterol, which is kind of funny because they say, you know, you get that from eating meat, and even on my new diet, I eat meat. I eat meat like it's going out of style, um, but it's I don't eat sugar, right? I mean, I've taken out basically sugar and uh, anything that the body processes so quick, it might as well be sugar, like pasta and, and baked potatoes and all that stuff. So, I mean, that's that's really like majorly good news, but here was the one thing, my triglycerides, all that stuff, great numbers, great on all that. Um, here, here was the biggie for me though. My ABA1C, so this is the one that I was 6.0. Remember, uh, 5.7 is the start of pre-diabetic, 6.4 is diabetic. I came in at 5. I am cool. so far under the pre-diabetic. I'm I'm not even I'm not pre-diabetic anymore. Like I'm not pre-diabetic. 
I'm totally in the normal range. Three months is what that took. Three months of eating right. How crazy is that? Dude, that's amazing. Just three months. Three months of eating oh, right. Dude. Dropped my A1C a whole point. Huh. Wow, And I'm dude. totally within what they call the optimal range. Wow. That's amazing, dude. It's it's amazing. And I, I mean, I'll be honest. I was freaked out. I was like, you know, it's been two and a half Run years. Run that test again. Run that test again. I know, right? Can't well, I'm right. going to do it again in three months. But yeah. Because um, by then, I'll, my goal is. You'd be is like Jack LaLanne. I know, right? My goal is to be closer to my, my target okay. weight. In so when you get to your target weight, you have to promise me something. You have to get a Jack LaLanne onesie light blue polyester and you have to hop into that thing and take a picture take a selfie well i was kind of thinking more of a richard simmons uh, oh, outfit yeah. come on deal a meal <laughs> i'm just saying i'm just saying remember so, that deal a meal i do he was funny if if you guys never saw richard simmons man it was so funny growing up in out. the 80s because you know we had all of these people and back then they all be uh let me see if I can LGBT, um, Cuba, blah, 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 all the rest. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't like a thing back then. It was kind of like whispered about. So when these public figures were just clearly flamboyantly gay, um, no, nobody really knew. Like you thought, oh, he might just be eccentric. Um, Jack, yeah, today it's you would true, look at him and it? go, oh, this is obvious. But back then, you were always but back like, then uh. you didn't know it was like Prince, Boy George, you know, Michael Jackson. You had people that were effeminate, and you just never knew because at the same time, you had guys like Rock Hudson who were extremely masculine and yet totally gay. And it was like a, it wasn't a well known secret. I didn't know that about him. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah, yeah. he died of AIDS. Um, oh, did? It, it, I, I yeah, mean, I was a Rock he, Hudson fan, so, you know. So, uh, funny enough, my him. dad worked in Hollywood, and um, Rock Hudson grabbed his butt. I am not making this up. My dad, like, when Rock Hudson died, he smiled. We were out, and he smiled and said, I knew that. And I said, really? How? And he goes, well, he goes, I was in the food line. You know, he's my dad did some extra work. And uh, they did work with Rock Hudson, Charlton Heston, and stuff. And um, he said he was in the food line, and, and he felt this hand on his butt, and he stiffened, like, and he looked around. He said, there's Rock Hudson just smiling at him. My dad said, I just moved down the food line, you know. Like, that's, I feel, un, you know, he, he, he like, it was not my dad's thing. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, he, no, you know, hey, Rock Hudson, I mean, if a guy is going to pick up on you, you know, you could do worse. Hey, that's the one to get, right? <laughs> Chuck Norris, Rock Hudson, you know, I mean, I'm not starting rumors about Chuck Norris. He will find me and hunt me down and kill me. If, dude, if that's going to be like one of the saddest days when he dies because that dude is old at this point. Like old. Oh, my old. gosh, dude. Dude, it was so funny. I saw the best meme the other day where it Him showed going on all vacation these, in Oh, my Florida. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shows all this traffic trying to get out and there's a like single car so driving in. It says Chuck Norris decides to make a trip, you know, go on vacation in Florida. Yeah, no, that was so, great. Um, how do we see all the same memes? We must be like well, super because I think I Facebook. share them, and then you see the ones. That I, I see I all your stuff. That's yeah. what it is. You know, it's funny. Most things I see that are funny, if I look, I'm like, oh, Pete shared that. I want no point in me sharing that. Oh, really? That's funny. 
It's true. It's true. I figure if you share it, well, you know, it's kind of like... Every once in a while, like, I found one yesterday that was uh, definitely one I could not share publicly. But when you get a good one like that, you're like, I have this one friend I can send this to. And, like, it was something that I knew Dan Sams was going through in his life. And I was like, okay, no way can I share this one publicly. But this will speak directly to Dan and give him comfort. (laughs) I, like, sent it to him. And he's just dying laughing because it was, like, it was a perfect meme. But sometimes there are perfect memes that you can't share publicly. And that was one of them. Right. But, uh, hey, no, one thing I do want to share with you guys um my uh so a lot of my my health advice has come from my buddy Wayne. Uh my buddy Wayne who's been in jail the last couple of years, he's a, a bodybuilder, um certified sports nutritionist and and actually he got out this week. I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet cuz they don't actually let you talk on the phone and at, right away. Uh so um that's that's interesting. Yeah, he'll probably start working for me next week. And um, so one of the things that I did during all of this is I kept going to Wayne going, hey, man, what about this? What about that? And he was advising me because he's been working with a lot of the inmates uh, in prison, getting them healthy. And then the guards started coming to him because, <laughs> like, he was getting all of the inmates healthy. And they're like, these guys have sedimentary lifestyles. They don't do anything. And they're now fit. Can you help me? And he's like, yeah, I can help you. <laughs> he's like, but I need a testimonial from you because when I get out, I need you know testimonials. So, um, so anyway, here, here's the deal, guys. I'm I'm thinking about doing a uh, uh, a health summit for pastors in January, and I want to have some some guys who have basically had massive changes, guys and gals who've had massive changes like me. If you're like, hey. I'd like to have some some professional mentoring. Not going to cost you anything. Um, you just got to be serious about it. I want you to reach out to me. Uh, I'm going to hook you up with Wayne so that way he can help dial you in what's going to be the appropriate thing for you. If you got a problem with the fact that he was in jail, just know now that he was in jail. So then don't reach out because he's the expert. Literally, he's the guy I go to and he, he knows what he's doing. Um I would actually venture to say that he studied this stuff more than probably anyone else I've ever met. So that's why his, his advice has been so good and helped me lose, you know, basically 65 pounds, um, almost 65 pounds, just shy of 65 pounds. So if you're interested, I'm going to put this in the show notes, but I want you to text me the word health to 562-553-5008. And I'm going to put that in the show notes. You just text the word health, 562-553-5008. We'll talk to you, see if it's right for you. I'm just looking for a few guys because I want to have some examples to show. Here's what can happen when you start doing things healthy. I don't want to be the only one who who does this. And again, I'm not going to be the one leading it. I'm going to have Wayne do it. He doesn't know this yet. He's going to find out when he comes to work for me next week. By the way, you're working with these guys for free because they need help. So if you're interested, guys and gals. Um, you know, reach out to me, do that, and and we'll we'll hook you up. Sound like a plan, my man? Sounds really good. Sounds really good. I mean, so, I won't be doing any of it because you know you're already pretty. I'm. You know, it's funny. I have been losing weight. Um, I'm I'm running again, and uh, I'm eating right. Um, I have a certain regimen I follow, That's and awesome. uh, when I stick to it, it does me well. But uh, I got to be careful; I don't drink beer so much. So, like, beer is 
my max for beer would be like two, three times a week. Um, but that, that's very fattening and I'll have like yeah. one, you know, it's yeah. not like a, a, a ton or anything like that, but it, it definitely, you know, it's one of those things where I, I'm, I'm going off in anyways, you know, just kind of, I think you go through stages, you know, I, I came off of working for Nam and beer was great, but that's the most calories you can pack on. I mean, that's beer is probably the worst thing you could do. Yeah. It is, and that's why I don't drink it anymore. I mean, one day I'm sure I will have a beer again, but it's like at this point in my life, no. Like I'm, I'm not. I'm seeing too much results that it's like I don't want to screw all that up just because I want to have a beer. Like I don't like beer that much where I have to have a beer. So, so I've been without uh, the uh, the nectar of uh of the of the the land for no a while. that's good well your body's gonna show it jacqueline one piece what what do you call those it's not a one piece it's a um it's a onesie yeah but it's not a onesie it's got a it's got a name i think it starts with an h i can't remember what they're or a romper a romper oh, that's a romper. what they are yeah yeah that's what i was thinking because that's what he used to wear jacqueline were wear a romper that's have funny. like shorts and short sleeves like poly and it had that like kind of suit collar it was pretty cool. That's he could pull it off. And he was super fit. You know what was creepy growing up was Slim Goodbody. You remember that guy? No, not at all. Dude, we're like, we're seriously, we're so far over in Smack Talk. We, we I know. Hey, speaking of Slim Goodbody, anyways, he he was a weird dude. He was white. He had an afro. And uh, he wore a suit that looked like the inside of a human body. Oh, and he would jump nice. around. And it, it was weird. It was weird. It was like a giant leotard made to look like your insides. Oh my gosh, dude. Quit calling me, whoever you are. All right, so let's uh, let's get into the topic. Let me uh, cue up uh, Doc Brown here. Great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Woo! All right, I just felt like doing that. What's our topic? Our topic uh, actually is going to be something that we've we've touched on in the past, and that is... Prayer. And, and I just can't get enough. And I just well, can't get enough. Ain't that the truth? So yeah. here, here's the reason uh, why we're talking about this. And uh, and I'm going to share it because I'm the one who brought it up with Peyton. I said, hey, I think this is a topic I, I want us to cover. So at at my church, uh, we're doing this this thing right now where we've got these, these devotionals that the church has put out. And uh, so each day, you know, you got a little passage to go through. And um, today's, well, actually, it wasn't today's passage. It's the passage that I'm on today. How about that one? <laughs> I'm about a week behind <laughs> the rest of the church. And um, the passage that they're covering is Mark 1, 35 through 45. And, and in this passage, uh, it says, you know, basically, Jesus gets up while it's still dark. He goes out to a desolate place, and he prays. Uh, when everyone else gets up, they can't find him. They take all his time looking around for him. They finally find him. They're like, hey, we couldn't find you. And his basically, his response is, all right, well, let's go get to work. Let's start preaching. And they would go preach in the synagogues and cast out demons. And um, and so one of the questions that that it asked, and, and then, you know, Jesus heals the leopard. And this is where Jesus says, hey, don't tell anyone. And, of course, as soon as the leopard goes, he starts telling everyone. Um, so that it was that passage, guys. And. So one of the questions in this daily devotional was, 
you know, what do you observe about Jesus' prayer life here? Um, and so I just kind of really started thinking about that question, and I was somehow the thought of looking at prayer as they did it in the New Testament versus how we do things today. And that's what kind of caught my attention. So the first thought, and this is what I shared with uh, with Peyton, my first thought was, okay, first of all, you know, prayer ready Jesus to go take action, to go preach. And it says, you know, they preached in the synagogues and to cast out demons. So right. it was like, you know, they suited up to 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 preach the gospel and at the same time they had to to play in the big game right you know they're casting out demons obviously it's jesus so you know he he kind of he can he can cast out demons really easily the rest of us we got to do a little bit more prayer and fasting but that that's not the point here i just thought it was okay you know he suits up with prayer and then the, th- the thought struck me okay look at how is this different from us today like, what do we do today? Like, what's the big deal when we go to Sunday school or church or, uh, you know, I take my, my son to Wednesday night, kids, youth group. Like, the big deal is everyone brings their Bible and we, we carry our Bibles everywhere we go. Not that right. that's a bad thing, but I'm like, they didn't do that back then because they didn't have them, right? They, they didn't have, uh, you know, everyone had a copy, right? I mean, it wasn't like it is today. So what did they focus on more? And I'm not trying to, you know, say I, I, I think, you know, we focus too much on reading God's word. That's not it at all. But I, I do wonder, okay, do we focus enough on prayer? Because that's what what Jesus focused on was on prayer. And obviously he knew the Bible. Obviously he studied the Bible. Um, you know, he was teaching in the synagogues at 12. Right. I mean, he, hmm. he, he knew the Bible. I get that. And I'm not trying to, to say that the Bible is bad, but I just do wonder, like in my own life, what is the bigger focus? Is the bigger focus prayer with God or is the bigger focus reading the Bible? And not that reading the Bible is bad, but I, I can honestly say for myself, I don't, I don't think I, I have enough focus on prayer. So that's kind of the topic. And I'm going to lay it out there before you, uh, Pastor Jones, uh, to, to, to rebut me and to, to come back at me. And no, I... Coach me well, in the ways that I should be. So, yeah, it, it it's good. I, I think we have to be careful saying one is more important than the other, right? And I'm not saying you're saying that, but I think you could easily infer... I think it could easily be taken that way. That's why I'm trying to be so careful about it. Right, and I hear you being careful. Here Here's the thing, right? Um, the teaching was something, even in Acts, like from day one of the church's existence as what we know it um, as today. Um, it says that they, gave, they devoted themselves daily to the apostles' teaching. So those apostles, most of them, were going to go on to write Scripture. Of course, Luke comes in and a few others, like the writer of Hebrews, which may have been um, Barnabas. We don't. We, there's no uh, author attributed to that book. Scholars have assumed it was Paul. Some think it was Barnabas. Some things think it was someone unnamed. So the apostles uh, don't my, have my to be. My vote is it was absolutely not Paul. Yeah, so it does so, not fit his writing style at right, all. Right, correct. And in in fairness, people would say things like about different scriptures like, oh, the pastoral epistles aren't Paul, because it doesn't fit his writing style. However, 
Um, one of the things that we always have to keep in mind is that Paul didn't write his own letters. He dictated them, and others wrote them for him. So sometimes you're going to get Paul's writing style across, and there is very much of Paul, uh, like huge amounts of Paul in the pastoral epistles, which are very consistent with what you would read in Corinthians, um, you know, and elsewhere, um, where Paul's giving his statements, um, the way he interacts with people. I mean, all that's there. But yeah, true, there is a writing style. Plus, you're looking at different epochs of his life. If you look at, for me, Church is Zero compared to Reaching the Unreached, cha-ching, um, you're going to notice, I felt as an author, these were very different. My letters over the years, my journals over the years, my writing style has changed. And I learn new tricks as I go. But anyways, all that to say, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so um, some of those apostles wrote, but they were teaching was paramount. And um, it became, to Paul, very paramount after his first mission trip when he realized, I can't just preach, lead them to Jesus, um, and then move on and expect that this faith community is not going to end up in heresy. So, of course, teaching um, becomes a, a one of the key things when he leaves people behind, when he's picking elders, teach men who are also able to teach others, uh, teach able men, as he says, who are in turn able to teach others. So there's like these three tiers of teaching. But anyways, all that to say, teaching was extremely important in the New Testament, but prayer is the activity that you see all throughout Um the book of Acts, like it's just it's just as common as breathing, really. Um, every time that I I liken it to this, that the church's um, prayer life is the intake. It's like respiration. It's the intake of breath, and then their outreach is the you know the the exhale. And so there's this rhythm in Acts where it's inhale and exhale, inhale and out, prayer and outreach, prayer and outreach. And, you know, some people don't like the term outreach now because you're trendy critters, you pastors and theologians, and you like to use buzzwords, and so now it's mission. But, you know, it, okay, so prayer and mission. That's, that's, that's all. Oh, okay. I, I thought, I thought we were uh, pausing for dramatic effects so you could take a deep breath and. I would mic drop, but it's on a coaxial cable arm. I mean, can't that's do that. Fine. Yeah. So, um, so what would you say, like, <clears throat> how does how does prayer show up in in your life? Like, you're getting ready to plant. So how, do, how does that show up for someone who's getting ready to plant? Like, what's that like? I mean, I, mean, I don't even know if that's a fair question because I don't even really know how to ask this. Of uh, is it just you know the, the thing that you do in the morning? Is it? I mean, what what, what is it? What does it huh. look like? Yeah, I, I are you asking me personally or in general? Well, either or. I I don't know how to ask. So, I don't. I don't so know for me, for me, the mornings are good, and you know, I I think everybody struggles. There's a, a chemical in your brain that induces sleep. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it, um, but it. It it comes in at night. I want to say it's melatonin. Comes in at night, puts you to sleep. It drugs you. That's why you get drowsy. And then um, coffee, caffeine inhibits 
um, those receptors. So your body has a cycle where it, it produces two chemicals, one that wakes you up, one that, um, you know, produces melatonin. So uh, caffeine counteracts the melatonin um, receptors. So uh, it just competes with that. And then it, it also has a stimulant in it. So that's why people um, kind of take that. The, the part where you're drowsing in the afternoon is where the, um, the melatonin cycle starting. But that chemical that you have that wakes you up in the morning, that's worn off. So you don't get that stimulus effect. But, you know, some, for, some, for some people, for that reason, they find it very hard to pray sure. in the morning. Like, for example, um, Martin Lloyd Jones, he couldn't pray in the morning. Um, he had to pray in the afternoon, and he he was honest about that, and he shared with people, you know, the golden rule in this matter is to know thyself. If you read um, On Being a Pastor by Derek Prime and um, Alistair Begg, it's a really funny book. Um, Derek Prime is one of those, like, I'm up at four in the morning kind of guys, everything's structured, I have my routine. And Alistair Begg all throughout the book is I'm a wreck. You know, I'm disorganized. I'm this, I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I, and so you see these two guys that are very different in how they approach. And I think everybody's different. I would just want to say that, um, I agree with Lloyd Jones that it should be the kind of thing where you have the freedom to really be who you are and to pray. Like Lloyd Jones would argue, if you don't pray well in the morning, then don't pray in the morning, you know, pray in the afternoon. Other people have to have a notebook. They have to write their thoughts to um, feel like they aren't going to wander, and then it crystallizes their thoughts, and they're careful. Um, other people like to be free form. Other people, I mean, I mean, really, to be honest, if I look at my prayer life, um, warnings are good for me, and that's a start. Um, I wish, in all honesty, I came back to prayer more in the day. Mm. And there's different parts of my ministry where I do. Like, I've done all the things like set alarms at different times and stopped and prayed. You know, Daniel pay, prayed five times a day. You know, he would face Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, that's how they that's how they trapped him. Um, you know, one of the psalmists. Or is it three times a day? I think it's no, a psalmist. No, it was five. Because wasn't, yeah. isn't that the reason why uh, Muslims do it five times a day? Could be. And and I know David um, in the psalm says five times a day, you know, I will look to you. And so, well, l- you know. Let me, and- let me actually expand on this one idea with, with a question for you. So let's say you do circle back later in the day. What exactly does that mean? Not as far as time of the day, but what does that mean uh, for the prayer? Is it a five-minute prayer? Is it an in-depth yeah. prayer? Is it a, a surface, hey, guy, this is what I'm doing? I think it depends. Some guidance here? I think it depends. Like, like. You know, aimless prayer is not helpful. So like when when the disciples said, you know, teach us to pray, Jesus gave them a structure. And and I always find that interesting that he gave them um, the Lord's Prayer. And in the way that it's a skeleton, but they wanted to pray like him. And so the Lord's Prayer is really, I think, how Jesus prayed, where he kept the priorities of, you know, um, our Father, there's that relationship, that's the first thing that comes in, who art in heaven, Jesus said that was really important to know, you're on earth, he's in heaven, don't try to, you know, don't try to fill up all this time, like, that was the point he makes, keep, keep your prayers brief, like, don't try to impress God, he's in heaven, you're on earth, like, 
he knows. You don't have to like write a book and tell me. He knows everything. And then um, he goes on to say, uh, uh, hallowed be your name, which is a truth. God's name is holy. It's amazing. Um, you can meditate on that. It's also uh, an injunction. It's a it's a prayer request. Let your name be hallowed. You know, let let your let your glory. That's like a prayer for God's name, which is His character, to be known and to be worshipped. And then He goes on to say, "Your kingdom come," which that's I mean, books and books of theology written on the kingdom that has come when Jesus was here, the kingdom that is coming to the church, and the kingdom that will come when heaven establishes itself on earth. So I, I won't go through all of it, but like then give us our daily bread is is dependence. Like Jesus had this kind of not formula, like, you know, I've prayed through that and then I felt like, okay, I need to get away from that. But I prayed that for so many years of my Christianity, just using it like I would move on. It was almost like, hate to use this analogy because I'm not a, a Catholic, but, you know, when they do the rosary, and they're moving from bead to bead, like, you know, like it's a ritual. Um, it became a bit too ritualistic for me, but it ingrained into me that God's glory is chief, right? Like that's the number one thing that I submit to him and his purposes. And it's a, it's a surrender to selflessness and dependence upon him. And, and, uh, so there are times where I need to pray more. Than others because I'm not there. And then there's, you know, I would say that there's times in my day where if I were to pray today, I would have something very specific that I'd be um, praying to God. And I, and I have been over the last few days going through a situation where I've had to just keep praying. And in some ways it's so I don't go nuts, you know, it's so I don't go out of my head and start letting negative thoughts and fears and things like that take over. I have to keep going to God for strength. And I think you see that in David's prayer life. The Psalms are like a window into David's prayer life um, in the middle of just going through hellish situations of how he interacts with God. Mm -hmm. And there's this dependence and, God, you're my rock, and I I trust you, and this person's hurt me, and they're saying this about me, Lord. And, you know, I like he's just... At every turn, he's going to God. And I think one of the helpful things about you bringing this up is that we don't often go before the Lord in, in these times and, and ask him. And it's, I feel sometimes like we suffer in needlessly when we don't, like, like I'm comforted when I'm praying. So like that, um, that old song, you know, um, uh, oh, what, what what did how's it go? Oh, uh, what a friend we have in Jesus! All our griefs and sins to bear. What a privilege to Him to carry everything, or uh, what a privilege it is to carry everything to Him in prayer. And then it says, "Oh, what is it? Joy we often forfeit." I think that's how it goes, or is it peace or whatever? Um, because we're not going to Him, mm-hmm. and that's that's poignant. Like that's very poignant. Um, to a Christian, you know, and I, I'll often find myself reacting like a practical atheist in situations, forgetting that God's here. Like, like I mentioned last week, like about my trials and my hardships. I'm preaching on spiritual warfare last Sunday. My car gets broken into twice, a bunch of other stuff in my life starts falling apart. And I'm like, okay, this, the, it, you know, 
One day I was great. I knew it was spiritual warfare. The next I didn't and completely screwed it up. And then throughout the week, I've been more mindful. This is spiritual warfare. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And I've been taking a hammering, dude. No. Well, you know, that I, I think that just helps out so much. Because, um, I, I mean, easily, like one of the questions in this devotional, I don't know if it was today or yesterday or whatever, but, it, you know, what what stops you from praying? And And as I look at my own life, I can easily say sin in my own life is what stops me from praying. Because one of the things that, that I've shared before in this podcast is that I have, like, I know when I've done something wrong. I usually know when I'm doing it, I'm sinning, right? Like, I, I just know. I, I grew up in the church. I, it's not like some big shock to me <laughs> when I find out, oh, you mean you can't lie? You right? I mean, it's like, I know what I'm doing. And I would say for myself, that shame of going before God when you know You've been sinning, whether it's attitude, uh, anything. I mean, take your take your pick of the poisons that are out there. It's it's the shame, and the shame for me is like, man, how can I approach God? And again, you know, it, in fact, I, I think in one of my prayers uh, this morning with with God, I was like, you know, Lord, I I know I feel like I mock what Jesus did for me on the cross when I sinned, because I know what I'm sinning and there's shame in that. And that's what, that's what stops me from praying. And, um, and I also realize at the same time, Satan's happy with that. Sweet. Stop you from praying. Yeah. Great. Let that shame yeah. sink in. And, and I realize at the same time and, and Jesus sitting there going, yeah, I already paid for that. Right. <laughs> you know, I paid for right. that, bro. <laughs> but, uh, but it, you know, so for me, I, I can just, you know, say in looking at all of that, that's one of those things that just, uh, I don't know. It, uh, it gets to me. And that, that's what I think stops me from praying more is just shame. Absolutely just flat out shame. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because when, you know, you look at, you know, the, the, the accusations of the enemy that, you know, you got to think about it. Like, I like to reverse engineer, um, you know, the, there's that passage. Um, this is actually the passage I preached on. And I'm, I'm almost like shuddering to share this because I know what a beating I've taken this week from sharing this um, last Sunday. But, um, I, you know, I, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment because I'm going to share it again. Um, but in Ephesians 6, um, Paul says, uh, put on the full armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the enemy. And schemes are hidden. Um, they're subversive. They're subterranean. If I say you're scheming, I'm saying that um, you do things secretly and not out in the open. And so when he's talking about Satan, he's a master tactician. He's a he's a skilled uh, manipulator, and um, that's what Paul's bringing up. And he and he says, "Put on the full armor of God that you could stand against the schemes." Like you don't know what the attacks are that are coming, but if you had this armor on, it would help you. And what I love about the armors are six pieces. 
And then at the end, he says, and above all, pray, right? Mm. Above all, pray. So, so, you know, we know that prayer is huge in this, but the armor pieces, if you reverse engineer, this is how I teach it, that you could tell what the schemes are primarily by looking at what the armor is. So if he says the antidote to the schemes is put on this armor that you could stand against the schemes, then ergo, you know, it, it follows that this armor is going to be, it's going to tell me what he's doing. So for example, um, the breastplate of righteousness. If I knew that I'm 100% righteous in Christ, that one bounces off me like a bullet off Superman's chest, right? Like, can't touch this, you know? I'm bulletproof. You, you, you can't, can't hurt me with that stuff because whatever you say, even if it's true, I've been given the righteousness of Christ. Then the next one is the belt of truth, which um, truth is juxtaposed between our feelings and our thoughts. Our thoughts and feelings aren't always true. And so having God's truth, what he really says about me, not what I think he feels, but what he says in his word about me, right? Um, were I to number the thoughts of love you have about me, God, they would outnumber the sands on the seashore, the grains of sand on the seashore. That's truth. That's not how you feel all the time, but that's truth concerning you coming from God, the Father's heart. And then, um, you know, you've got uh, the the uh, feet shod with the readiness, which means you don't slip around on the battlefield because it's a very slick place. Human beings are mostly fluid. So when you open one up, mm-hmm. uh, the battlefield becomes very wet and muddy and you slip around. And of course, if you go down um, and fall on the ground, all someone has to do is put a sword in you, you're done. So the readiness is that ability to stand. You know, you're not going to slide around. And he says that's that's the readiness or the firm-footedness that comes from the gospel piece. So had in my trial last week, I been mindful that, hey, God's got this. And even now, like even in my trial this week, I've just got to, I've got to have peace and allow God to minister his peace to me. I may not like the way things turn out, but I've got to remember God loves me. He's on my side. He's got me in the palm of his hands and dang it. Um, That'll give me peace that the sovereign God of the universe is for me. And so those three things are yours. And, and what I always like to say about the schemes of the devil is that his schemes are twofold. Number one, to keep you from using what you already have. He doesn't want you to use those three pieces. They're on you. They're strapped to you. All three of those pieces are strapped to you, right? The other three pieces, he says, take up. So take up you know, put on the helmet, um, take up the shield, take up the sword. These are things that when a soldier gets off, I know from being a firefighter, first thing I do is take my, my firefighting helmet off and let my head breathe. So it's the first thing a soldier would do is take his helmet off when he's not in battle. So he could, you know, breathe and, and, you know, not overheat in that helmet. So he says, put that on. You know, that's the helmet of the hope of salvation. And the hope of salvation is that idea that when you're getting the snot beat out of you, I'm going to make it. I'm going to win, right? I'm taking a beating right now, but I'm here. I'm not dead. I'm not knocked out. It, that may have hurt. I may be seeing stars. I took a blow there, but I'm going to make it. And, you know, then he, the shield of faith is to advance, right? Because fear is the opposite of faith. 
So the darts are fears. I don't think they're temptations. Um, and, and that's what you use a shield for. The Romans would use it to advance um, against arrows. Um, so it'd make that tortoiseshell formation. So that's faith. That's, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to, these are my offensive weapons now. I'm, I'm pressing in. I'm going on the offense now. Um, and then lastly, the, the sword of the spirit. And then he goes above all prey. So, um, you know, like you said about that guilt, that, that's half the battle. It's kind of like G.I. Joe. No, I know. Knowing's half the battle. And, uh, and, and just, you know, one, one of the things, because I read a bunch of Puritans and reform guys and, thing that they're really good at is telling you it's the gospel and it's not about you. It's about him. Um, you know, kind of like when Moses, I love this Moses, when he goes before God, he says, God, look, if you ditch these people, it makes you look bad, right? Like that you delivered them out of Egypt and now you're going to leave him in this desert. Like, you're just going to abandon because God says, go on into the promised land. So God changes tack and he goes, okay, look, I'll be with you for 40 years, but they're not entering, right? Like I'll be with them. I'm not going to abandon my people, but I am going to discipline them. So it's not that the Lord doesn't discipline us. It's not that, you know, it's always in love. He always does it for our good. And of course, these are pictures for us, but um, God decides because Moses says, you can't abandon them, God. That's, that's not, that's going to say something bad about you. And what I love is the Bible tells us that character, I mean, that um, conversation, because Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Mm-hmm. And and he never will. Like, you may be disciplined at times, and you may be walking around in the wilderness, but God is still going to always be with you. Like, no matter what, he's your God, and he's going to be there for you. So um, that's, that's kind of the cool bit is, you know, I, I love how... Um, really when I come before the, the throne of God, it's him, it's his character that matters. He is this God that loves me. And of course he didn't know the gospel back then. Um, specifically, uh, I just got done doing Joshua and God specifically made it so that Moses could not deliver them in. Cause he didn't want people to think you can get into the promised land by your works or by the law or by observing, um, the commands, but he has Joshua, which is Jesus's name, he has Joshua do it, and everything's done for them. The fields are planted. The you know God fights the first battle, Jericho. He just goes, look, everything's done for you. So kind of cool. Big detour. Sorry. No, it was great detour. In fact, uh, all I can say to that is I used to have more friends before I got into church planting. <laughs> well, you know, we can never we can never hear the gospel enough. You know, I'm I'm prepping for this textbook, and um, uh, uh, I'm reading Center Church by Tim Keller, and I love because he keeps quoting Lloyd Jones, and I've always known like Tim Keller's a big Lloyd Jones fan because he is Lloyd Jones in in the 21st century. Like that's that's who he is. You know, um, I found him Tim Keller. I don't know somewhere in the 20th 21st century. Uh, not the twentieth, um, so in the two thousand somewhere, and and I remember I was just like because I'd read everything Lloyd Jones, and I'm like that's Lloyd Jones, and that's what Tim Keller is, but he keeps mentioning how that um, Lloyd Jones always, and this is part of Welsh uh, tradition, was to have a Sunday morning uh, teaching service for believers and a Sunday evening evangelistic church service for non-believers. You bring your friends to. And that was just, and even if no non-believers came, 
Um, Lloyd-Jones would always say, every believer needs to hear the gospel every week. Mm. So he would preach the gospel Sunday night, and all believers would turn up, and sometimes they'd bring their friends, but Lloyd-Jones would constantly hammer on, every believer needs to hear the gospel continuously. I, I can't tell you how much I love that concept. Yeah. I really love that concept. Yeah. Because you don't forget, you know, you, you, even like communion, right? Like that whole idea that Jesus goes, as often as you come together, do this. This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you every time. Like that's rad. That's Jesus saying, I want you to remember this. Always I did this for you. Don't ever let this leave your sight. Yeah. Right. So, but I guess that brings us kind of to the, that was a great topic, Pete. I'm sorry I kind of hijacked the no, end. No, I actually, I got so much value out of that because I think I, I just kind of started that topic in my head this morning, but had no idea where it needed to go. And I really felt like where our conversation went is where it needed to go. So I'm very grateful. Very grateful. Right. But, you know, well, while we're doing all these pr- prayers, <laughs> while, while we're praying all the time, what if we don't have time to do our bookkeeping <laughs> and our IRS compliance? How, how, do we, how do we mix the two? Well, Pete, you go to simplifychurch.com. <laughs> simplifychurch.com where they will simplify. They will take all that stuff off your shoulders so you can be preaching those morning for teaching messages and evening for gospel messages. You know, you'd be sorted. Who, after all, if you think one sermon is hard on a Sunday, try doing two on a Sunday. That was a world I lived in for a number of years. But but I was going to say, go to simplifychurch.com and they will simplify. And tell them that Peyton and Pete sent you. They'll give you special treatment. Dude, I'm telling you, our transitions do not ever get any better. <laughs> it's like They're awesome. They're so good. I love them. <laughs> I, I was talking to Josh Henry about them not long ago, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I told him, no, we, we, we think that's one of the highlights of our shows. That's what we think. I don't think our listeners think that, but we think it's so funny when we transition into that last ad. Oh, my gosh. I definitely do. Remember right. we used to we used to have sponsors at the beginning. We just bust up laughing trying to do their commercial. Oh yeah, that's not good either. Yeah, no. <laughs> but you know what? If you sponsor this podcast and you haven't listened to it, it's not our fault because we've got three hundred plus episodes that you go back and listen to how we treat sponsors. So I say it's all on you. It's all on your shoulders when you get us. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, thanks for joining Peyton and Pete on the Church Planter Podcast. This has been, well, Peyton and Pete reminding you if you want to go, I, I, what's wrong with me? If you want to reach what ones no one's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Dang it. There you go. Hey, and, and this soundbite, it's really just for you. I love you, man. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. 
The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music.